we're the senior pastors here in Harvest Church, and it's great to be here. I'm being a little bit dazzled, but I know that you're out there, even though I can't actually see you. Um, by the way, if you're in Wednesday group and you can't come to the meeting on the 1st of November, if you give your address to Dave at the back there, we will make sure we catch you up with that meeting. So if you can't be there, give Dave your address. So from Clive and I, we wanted to bring you greetings from Portugal. We were away last weekend and last week with some pastors from Europe, and we gathered in Lisbon, Portugal, where the Logos Church there was celebrating 30 years since they planted in that city. And we had a great time of encouragement and fellowship, so thank you for releasing us to that. Uh, just to keep you up to speed with our uh, future plans, we're here for a couple of weeks, and then we're actually going to be in the States in Miami with our son Richard, who's the pastor of a church there in Miami, and he already has plans for us. He sent us train, uh, plane tickets to go to Boston and Atlanta, and uh, I can't remember where else, Austin, and various places where he wants us to go and do some training for him. So we're not going to be here for most of November, but we'll be back in time to join all the Christmas preparations and festivities with you. So just to give you those news. Now, uh, when you speak in church on Sunday, you do know that the countdown does not start until I open the Bible, right? <laughs> I'm not looking at my son-in-law or anything who will be sort of giving me sort of signals if I speak for too long. But I wanted to start this morning uh, by showing you something on the screen. My title today is Heaven Breaks Through. We're looking at a series in the Gospel of John and you've uh, already had a couple of Sundays with that message. And this morning, I want to continue that series and speak to you on the title of Heaven Breaks Through. But first of all, I want you to watch this video clip. And I'm going to talk over it a little bit for the sake of the podcast, if uh, people are listening to this afterward. But here we go. Have a watch of this video clip. And what Count we want you to do... The players wearing white pass the ball. You're going to watch some people passing a, ba a basketball, a baseball, and we want you to say how many times a person wearing a white t-shirt throws the ball. Get counting, see what you can see. This is to see how well you can be attentive on a Sunday morning, and if I need to come and wake you all up before I get talking. So keep counting just the white t-shirts. How many times they pass the ball? There you go. What was the answer? 12, 16. Okay, well, let's uh, give you the results of that a little bit later on then. You can see if you were right or not. But here we go. Heaven breaks through. And if you would kindly read the scripture uh, as I read it out to you, it's going to come up on the screens. And it's a passage that you'll know very well in John chapter 2, where we read about a wedding that took place in Cana. But you know, it's a real shame to only share this passage when someone's getting married, isn't it? So we're going to do it this morning. Here we go. Reading from verse 2 to verse 11. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. This is a scandal in that society to run out of wine at a wedding feast. Mother, woman, 
Why do you involve me, Jesus replied? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He didn't realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choicest wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Let's just pray. Father, we thank you that we can be here today. We thank you that we can gather around you. We want you to be central. Even as I'm speaking, I pray that you would touch our hearts, speak to us, change our lives in any way you want to. We give you permission to speak to us. And we say we're really listening, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So this occasion is Jesus' first public miracle. It's the first time he's done a miracle in a public place. And to start off with, he almost sounds a little bit reluctant to get involved when Mary turns to him. And I believe that that's because Jesus knew that once he did a miracle in public, that was going to be the start of his open public ministry. And once that happened, he was on this countdown to the cross. He knew where he was going. And he'd had all these years of growing up in relative obscurity, had a, a, a reasonably normal childhood, but he knew once he did his first miracle, everything was going to change and people would start looking at him differently. And he was on his way to the cross. Now, there are 34 miracles recorded in the Gospels, and seven of them are in John's Gospel itself. And these were all occasions when Jesus did something supernatural. And you might think that if he was, knew he was going to start his public ministry, that he would do it with a bit of a bang. You know, maybe raise the dead would be a good one to start with, because we know he did that later. Or maybe open some blind eyes or something like that. I think I would start with something that would kind of get on the news front headlines, but no, he turns water into wine in a quiet village at a wedding celebration. No walking on water, no raising the dead. Instead, he does something amazing with water. And the more I've thought about this, the more I love it. Because water is just about the most ordinary, everyday, everywhere, pretty much substance on earth. We all have water in our everyday lives, this H2O stuff. Did you know 70% of the earth is covered in water? There are 300 and 26 million trillions, that's a lot, I can't even imagine the noughts, but 326 million trillion gallons of water on earth. How much of that is drinkable, would you like to guess? Who knows? Jared thinks 2%. 
Adam, who is studying, learning things, thinks 1%. Well, here are some statistics for you then. 97% of that water is salt. Salt water, 97%. And of the 3% that are left, of, of the fresh water that's left, more than two-thirds of that is locked up on the ice cap and in glaciers. So of the 3% that's fresh water, only 1% is actually usable. And of that 1%, because that's surface water and lakes and rivers and all of that as well, only 0.3% is actually in lakes and rivers. Isn't that amazing? All that water and that you know, tiny little bit that we can actually uh, get hold of. 0.3% of that 1% that's not locked up in the polar ice caps and glaciers is actually available to us in lakes and rivers. And of that 0.3%, one quarter of that, I can't work that out, a quarter of 0.3%, that's too hard for me. Anyhow, that is in this lake in Russia called Lake Baikal, where Clive and I had the privilege of driving through this summer. They have got a quarter of all that 0.3% in Russia in this massive big rift valley lake. And we need to take in about two litres of water every day. How much do you think we use in a Western uh, setting? You, tomorrow, you know, tomorrow. How many gallons of water do you think you will get through? 40? 53? <laughs> Always pick a random number when you're bidding on eBay. It gets you the thing that you want, so perhaps it will work here. Okay, well, for the sake of time, we use 80 to 100 gallons every day. I thought that was a lot. 80 to 100 gallons of water every day. And most of that is flushing the toilet and bathing and showering. What a lot of water we get through in our life. And we consist of a lot of water. Come up here, Jared, who's just put a polo in his mouth, so now he can't speak. I saw you. How much water do you think Jared is made of as a percentage? 76 Okay, well, let's get you up here then, Tone, as well. Stand this side of me. Jared is made of approximately 60% water. How much water do you think Tone is made of? About the same? As a percentage? They're sort of slightly different in height. As a percentage? Well, actually, it's about 55%. He's 60% water, she's 55%. And I like to think that it's because we've got more substance, but alas, apparently, it's just that we've got more fat. <laughs> On which note, I will finish. Yes, you may get down. Thank you. So there's a lot of water around. And Jesus takes this everyday, ordinary stuff we call H2O, and he turns it into something extraordinary. This is not some trick uh, where you just get a clear glass and turn it pink. He actually changes the molecular structure, H2O, into wine. And it becomes not just any old wine, but really good wine. They were amazed at how good the wine was. Jesus did this at this wedding. Now, it tells us in the passage that he took these six stone water jars and filled them full of water and turned them into wine, and that the pots held 20 to 30 gallons. So let's average that out, 25 gallons in a pot. How many, how many gallons did he have? 
whoever said 151st is, gets the prize on that one because 6 times 25 is usually 150. I thought you'd get that one. Easy peasy. Anyway, there's about, let's say, 150 gallons in these pots. 682 litres. Are you all awake? Because you've got to think. Okay, you've got to think. 682 litres. So if there are 682 litres in these water pots and there are about 750 mils in a bottle of wine, how many bottles of wine did you... You didn't know you were going to get this all happening to you in church, did you? It's like one of those IQ tests. Anyway, how many bottles of wine? You're not allowed to get your calculators out. Harding. Andrew Charlton, he's... An no, I made it 910 as well, and I had the calculator. <laughs> Yo, I think he does deserve an applause for that. Okay, 910 bottles. That is a lot of wine. If you were planning a wedding, not that anyone I know might be planning a wedding, but if you were, and you were going to invite 100 guests, how many bottles of wine do you think you ought to provide? <laughs> this is going to really show us up, isn't it? Joy looks like she might know. All right, well, if you just Google it, it will tell you that for a wedding of 100 people, you should provide about 80 bottles of wine. Now, if it was a Christian wedding, it would be a lot less, I know that. <laughs> But generally speaking, you could think that maybe you would need 80 bottles of wine, and you would have more than enough. And Jesus, at the end of the celebrations, when everybody has already had plenty to drink and the host has provided plenty and it's run out, he supplies ten, over 10 times the amount that you would need for a wedding. And people think Jesus is a sort of killjoy and very boring, but actually... He's not at all. He's okay with a celebration. He says, don't get drunk. And by the way, wine in those days was about a third of the uh, percentage strength than it is today, just to make sure that you know that. But Jesus really went for this celebration. When they ran out, he provided 910 bottles of the best wine. And in context, Aldi uh, stocks. I just This is the only one I could find easily. You can perhaps better me on this information, but Aldi Online stocks 164 different types of wine. Now, I don't know if they stock that down at Cowgate, because I didn't get a chance to go and look, but if you brought five bottles from Aldi of the best wine, that, or of every sort of wine that they provide, and you bought five of each, you would empty the store, and you would still have less than Jesus provided for this wedding, if you did a sort of trolley grab of the wine shelves in the local supermarket. So what is the best wine, and at what price? Well, if you go down the shop today and you buy a bottle of wine, some prices are fixed. However expensive the wine, and whatever you pay for it, some prices are the same, whether it's a cheap bottle or an expensive bottle. The glass bottle costs the same. The tax from the government costs the same. Who's likely to know the answer to this question? I'll just throw it out there. If you went to the shop this afternoon and you spent £5 on a bottle of wine, how much do you think the wine inside that bottle would be worth? £2.50, a pound, 50p. He's on the ball this morning. It's 47 pence. 40, so you're paying a fiver and you're getting 47 pence 
worth of wine. If you buy a bottle at double that, say you went down the shop and you spent £10 on your bottle of wine, the wine in that would actually be worth £3. So this is the sweet spot. Double the price, six times the quality. So if you really want to buy a good bottle of wine, not that I'm suggesting that you do this at all, but you would spend about £10-ish. And so at £10 a bottle, Jesus has just provided £9,100 worth of wine at this wedding. You could pay your tuition fees for a year. Ha-ha. <laughs> anyway, if you wanted really expensive wine you could go a little better than this. Do you know the most expensive bottle of wine ever sold outside of a charity auction where it can go higher because it's for charity? Anyone hazard a guess? A random... 700,000. For a bottle of wine? (laughs) All right, very crazy. Not quite that much. If you were at a car boot sale and you saw a bottle of 1869 Chateau Lafitte, you should buy it because it's worth $230,000. That's what it was paid for at auction. One bottle of wine, $230,000 at auction. Per glass, that works out at a choking, unable to think of even swallowing, £46,000 for a glass of that wine. One glass. We are in a crazy world. But if you were to buy 910 bottles of that, I love this because I know the answer. (laughs) Come on, Andy. 910 (laughs) times 230,000. Chunta, chunta, chunta. 230,000 a bottle times 910. You could just say a 1,000, couldn't you, to make it a round figure. But then you've got to do the conversion from dollars into pounds. <laughs> okay, I'll put you off out of your misery. If uh, you were to provide 910 bottles at your wedding, Adam and Jane, of Chateau, I can't even say it, Lafitte, 1869, it would cost you £15,870,751.21 pence. So you better get saving up. <laughs> Look, Jesus takes this everyday, commonplace stuff that we all use gallons of and does something amazing with it. That's what Jesus is good at. He turns the ordinary into the extraordinary. He is the master at doing this ordinary into extraordinary. And he wants to do that for you today. He wants to take your ordinary life, just like we heard from Beth, and turn it into something extraordinary. He wants to take your ordinary finances and turn them into something extraordinary. Your ordinary routines of every day. He wants them to be extraordinary routines. He wants to make things better, richer, more quality for you. Jesus wants to turn your ordinary into something extraordinary. Now, what he did here was what we call a miracle. What's a miracle? I guess we'd all like to see more miracles. Yeah, we'd like to see more miracles. Maybe it's a bit of a stretch, though, to think that we could see amazing things happen in our everyday life and that God could use us in that way because we've all heard stories about miracles happening in our generation but perhaps we don't quite think that we'll see one or that we'll be involved 
in Warren. Maybe miracles feel like the sort of super advanced Christian course (laughs) rather than the beginner's one. So let's rephrase this a little bit. Do you believe, this is a question to all of you, do you believe that our God moves in supernatural ways? Yes. I think that's a yes. It's like, are you hired or fired? Yes or no? I think we'll go with the yeses. Our God is a God who moves in supernatural ways. What does supernatural mean? I don't have a microphone, so you're going to have to come and tell me. Andy Charlton's got all the answers today. A level above natural, that's not a bad answer. There's no right, you know, I'm not going to give you points here. You're okay, you can just have a go. Can't be explained in a natural way. Any others want to add into that? I, of course, I, again, have a dictionary definition here. Which Things that don't work out naturally, something beyond the natural. Here's what the dictionary will tell you about supernatural. It's something that's attributed to some force beyond scientific understanding or the laws of nature. It relates to an order of existence beyond the visible, observable universe. We can't see it. It doesn't quite fit with the laws of nature or with our understanding of science at this point. So do you believe that our God who is beyond scientific understanding and the laws of nature and exists beyond the observable, visible universe, is able to get involved in amazing ways in this world that he created. Yes, that's, I find that easier to say yes to than do I think I'll see a miracle tomorrow morning. I believe that our invisible, amazing God that created this world is able to get involved in it beyond our natural understanding and physical and scientific laws. He's beyond the laws of nature because he created the laws. He wrote the laws. I think I should move. That went squawky. He wrote the laws. If you write the laws, you can break them. He's the one who walked on water and walked through walls. He could do what he liked with those rules that he wrote. Our God opened blind eyes called a guy called Lazarus out of the tomb, parted the Red Sea for Moses, made a blaze out of soaking wood for Elijah, and fixed a widow's oil and flour so it never ran out again. So if we believe that our God is a supernatural God, do we believe that he wants you and me to experience something of that supernatural in our everyday lives? I do. Should we expect to experience something of the supernatural in our everyday lives? I think we should. Things that you can't always explain. Circumstances and events when the God who made heaven and earth and lives by his spirit in you and isn't visible reaches out and changes something, puts his finger on something in your life and moves it around in a way that you could not have done for yourself. Heaven touching earth and breaking through, heaven breaking through in your life tomorrow, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Uh, What an amazing adventure we can have in the Lord. We were in a a meeting recently 
with um, Julian Gamba. Some of you know Julian Gamba. Julian is one of those married to my sister's wife's brother-in-law's father's uncle. But Julian's wife is our son Richard's wife's sister. Yeah, Richard's wife and Julian's wife are sisters. God, that was easier, wasn't it? You got that anyway. And uh, Julian was telling the story of when he was in his early teens and his father very unexpectedly and tragically passed away and his mother was left in uh, South America where there's not really any uh, benefit safety net to bring up her three children and things were very tight for them financially. And he told a story of uh, a time in his young teens where they really did not have money to buy food. They were desperate. And all she had in the cupboard, this, his wife, his mum's name is Ines, and all Ines had in her cupboard was this bag of potatoes to last this family of three boys and her a whole month. And every day she went to this bag of potatoes and she refused to look in it. She said, I'm not going to get fearful. I am not even going to look in the bag. I'm going to pray and thank God that he provides for us and I'm just going to put my hand in and take out potatoes for the day. And she did that for a whole month. And the bag never ran out until she didn't need it anymore and they had some money come in. That is, um, that is the supernatural breaking in with provision for that family. Uh, some of you know... Um, I'm a, I'm a bit sort of slow, really, in the daytime. I'm, I'm too distracted sometimes to notice all these things. So sometimes God has to speak to me in dreams, I think, because that's the only way he can get my attention. And my dreams are not these sort of um, wonderful, amazing, symbolic dreams. They're always very down-to-earth, literal dreams. And one day, when we were not in England even, I had a dream about a job interview. And uh, I, I was sitting at the end of a long table with a lady and a man and a lady interviewing me for a job that I didn't even know existed. And I'd only just got a new job and I wasn't really at all... I was, I was really surprised to have this dream. And when I woke up, I told Clive about it in great detail so that there could be no doubt about what I dreamt. And then when we came back to England, he said, you really should look and see if that job exists. Sure enough, it had been advertised while I was away in South America. And, you know, six weeks later, I walked into the interview. I didn't even have the qualifications for this job, but I kind of figured that I probably was supposed to be applying for it. So I put in my application. Six weeks later, I walk into the room, and I find myself sitting at the end of a table, and there's a lady, a man, and a lady interviewing me. Now, how did... I couldn't have known that. There is no way I could have known six, several weeks ahead of the job interview what that was going to look like. In fact, I didn't expect anyone knew because they don't usually assign the rooms even until the day, do they? But God knew and he broke in to my life in a supernatural way because that was his plan for me to have that job. I had another dream once, actually. And uh, I was 12 weeks from our, our wedding day and everything was planned and I had a dream. And in my dream, I woke up, but I was still asleep. I woke up in the dream. Did, are you with me? Follow that. So I was asleep, but I woke up in the dream when I was asleep. I was awake. And I woke up, and I looked, and I had a wedding ring on. It was a nice wedding ring. You're gonna, it's going to be real for you too soon as well. And uh, I had a wedding ring on, and I turned around in my happy state in my dream. And there, in, uh, lying next to me, fast asleep still, was Clive. And it was a really nice dream. And the only trouble was that I was actually getting married to somebody else at the time. So... <laughs> supernaturally, even while I was asleep, with a dream that changed my destiny. And it didn't just change my destiny, it changed 
Ben's destiny, and Doug, and Manuela, who married our three children that Clive and I then had together, once I'd extricated myself from this other situation. And it's changed the destiny for my grandchildren and all the generations that are coming after me. Isn't that amazing? God is a supernatural God. Listen, I've got time. I'll just tell you a few more stories. I promise I'll be quick. Promise. All right. He's looking at me. Can, can I tell you? Can I, do you mind if I tell you a few more stories? No, they don't. Right, good. Okay. <laughs> this summer, Clive and I did a crazy drive for charities. Those of you who are part of our church regularly know that we climbed in a little one-liter car, took two months off, and drove to Mongolia. And we went through 22 countries, and we had an amazing adventure. But we had to really look to God every day to help us. It was We were really put on the edge of our faith for some circumstances that we went through, because we went through a lot of these countries that end in Stan. And when you go through Stan countries, you can be certain of two things. It will be tricky getting across the border, and their toilets will be awful. So that's what we learned. But anyhow, we uh, at one point in this rally, we had to leave um, a nation called Turkmenistan because our visa was expiring at the end of the day, and they are a terribly secretive nation, a bit like, well, second in the world to North Korea is Turkmenistan. They're very strict. They are... Uh, really don't like it when you do things like overstay your visa. And so we had to progress to our next country, which was Uzbekistan. But our visa didn't start for another day. So we were in a bit of a hole because we had to leave one country, but we didn't have the paperwork to enter the next one. So we got to the border and we thought, let's see what will happen. And they usually split you up at borders. They put uh, the car driver in one place and the passenger in another. So you have to go through one of you on foot and one of you stays with the car and off you go. And they really didn't quite know what to do with us. Now, we read after this, two people last year got deported at this point from Uzbekistan and fined a large amount of money because their visa hadn't started. And we also read of someone this year uh, on uh, the rally with us who had been part of a crew and his visa didn't start on time either. And so they let his two friends through with a car and they kept him and made him stand in the no man's land between these two nations uh, for over 12 hours in 40-degree temperature with no water and no toilet until his visa began. And his dad was an MP, but that didn't seem to help him very much at all. But our father was a bit better in the circumstances. And so we were praying that God would send us someone to help us. We just didn't know what was going to happen. We didn't really want to be deported and have to pay a big fine, which had happened to these other people. And as we were waiting, along came two men who had driven... Uh, I think it was it was about a 45 hours, minutes, hours drive from the nearest town of Nucus. And they said, we are from the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. They were very well dressed in suits. One of them spoke excellent English. They were gracious and kind. And they appeared sort of in front of us and said, how can we help you? So we had just been praying that God would send us someone to help us. And when we explained our situation, far from deporting us, as had happened to our friends, they changed the visa on our passport. They said, we have the authority to do this. And they changed the date, signed it. And then they said, and what are you going to do when you come into our country? And we said, well, we don't know because we don't have, you don't have internet properly in Turkmenistan. You know, they won't let you look at things like hotels and things like that because, I don't know, you might do something terrible. So we had nowhere to stay. And we said, well, we're just going to drive to Nukas and try and find somewhere. And they said, well, we'll wait for you and we'll take you and find you somewhere to stay. And so they waited two hours. They sat there waiting while the Uzbek border guards searched our car and 
went through everything in great detail and did all the paperwork, and then they took us into the city and stayed with us. We went to two different hotels because one was full, and they found us somewhere to stay. And they were with us till 8.30 at night. Well, I don't know people in public service who really stay on till 8.30 at night to help two tourists that don't, they don't even know. And I'm still, don't laugh, but I'm still not entirely sure that they weren't angels. It was really so miraculous, and they were so serene and gracious and kind, and it was such a different experience to anything else that we've heard about. God is a supernatural God. He intervenes in our lives, and God wants to invade your ordinary today. He wants to break in. Heaven wants to break into your life. God wants to invade your ordinary. He wants to invade your finances. I've got lots more stories, but I'm going to be good and not tell them. Okay. But, uh, you know, he can, he can bring, put money in the mouth of a fish. He can do, uh, meet your financial situation as well. The actual definition of a miracle is pretty similar to what I read out about the supernatural. It's an extraordinary event in the physical world that surpasses all known human or natural powers and is ascribed to a supernatural cause, something considered as a work of God. So the miraculous is kind of just the same as the supernatural. It just miraculous sounds a bit more difficult. But do you believe that God could do miracles in you and through you? He is a miracle-working God. Let me give you some pointers from the passage quickly before I finish. Three quick ones and one that's a little bit longer. I don't want to read too much into this passage, but I think there are some things that could help us. Number one, remember, he is the miracle worker. He's the one that lets us into the supernatural world. He's the gate in the fence, if you like, that separates possible from impossible. And if you stick around with Jesus long enough, you'll cross into that supernatural realm with him. You will experience it. You'll bump into it in your everyday. We can't manufacture the supernatural in our life, and people try all sorts of illegal ways to do that that they shouldn't do. But I want to tell you today, Jesus is the only way into the supernatural. Without him, the water would have stayed water. Without him, there wouldn't have been any wine. He's the miracle worker. We don't earn miracles, but the more we get into Jesus, the more we're likely to experience the supernatural in our daily life. Number two, he wants to work in you and through you. Say to the person next to you, he wants to work through you. And that was kind of easy, but now you've got to point to yourself and say, he wants to work through me. He wants to work through me. Now, he had some raw material in this passage. The wine did not just drop out of a cloud, red-colored, tasting good, onto the ground. There were six empty water pots, and they were there ready, but they were empty, and the servants had to fill them. 
I did think of sort of getting someone to sort of stand in the corner filling a water... I'm not looking at Paul Corelius for any particular reason, <laughs> but filling six large water pots from the tap out there, much like you would have had to have gone to the well and sort of pulled up water a bit at a time and see how long it would uh, take to fill them. But we are like those empty water pots. If you want to see miracles happen in your life, if you want to experience the supernatural, fill your life with the right things. Make sure you fill your life with the right things. Do the things that will wake up your spirit and sensitize you to notice things differently. Get into the Word, the Bible. Get into His presence and start to see things with a spiritual eye. It takes investment of time and effort. Why don't we see more of the supernatural? Well, maybe we're not living the right kind of lives. Maybe we need to uh, be in a more of the right place ourselves because we won't see what we're not looking for. Now, uh, there's a photo coming up here now. I don't know if any of you have seen this photo at all, but uh, it, it's uh, about an incident that happened in New York. And one January morning in New York, this musician who's wearing a baseball cap and a long sleeve T-shirt uh, stood outside a busy metro station in New York, busking, playing his violin music. He was there for about 45 minutes, and during that time, 1,097 people walked past him. And of those 1,097, seven people stopped to listen, to actually stop and listen. 1,090 walked right on past, and he collected 32 dollars in his whatever he was collecting his busking money in. Now, how do we know so much detail about this random guy? Well, we know it because it was actually set, a setup. This uh, Washington Times journalist had set this up as a bit of an experiment to see what would happen. And the guy that you see there playing is a guy called Joshua Bell, and he is one of the best violinists in the world today. He is an amazing violinist. And three nights previously, he played at a conference hall in Boston, packed out tickets averaging $100, $200. Everybody there listening to him. That violin is a Stradivarius. 3.5 million pounds worth of violin you are looking at there. It's almost as good as that wine, isn't it? And he played outside the Metro and he got these $32, uh, sorry, $32 in tips, and $20 of that was from someone who actually recognized him <laughs> and stopped to listen. So he really only got $12 in tips. And here's the point. We can be so busy, so intent on getting somewhere that we don't notice when something amazing is happening right in front of us. We miss the supernatural in our lives. We're not expecting it. So we don't see it, just like the 1,090 people who walked straight past Joshua Bell performing amazingly on this fantastic violin on the streets of New York. So who said that there were 15 people, 15 passes of that ball between white T-shirts? Who said 15? Anybody? Well, the answer should have been... 15. If you said 15, if you said there were 15 white t-shirted people making a 
baseball or basketball pass on that video clip I showed you, you would be absolutely right and win the prize. How many of you noticed the gorilla walk across the screen? Ah. Nobody over here at all. A few over here. Well, I don't know if you could get that ready again, maybe, but across that screen, when you were busy counting all the people throwing baseballs, a person in a gorilla costume walked across the screen in front of you. And the point is that along with half of the uh, subjects of these tests that watch this, 50%, I think there were more here actually, sorry, but anyway, at least 50% of people do not notice the gorilla walk across the screen because they are so busy counting the ball. Do you want to watch it again quickly? Go on then. Here we go. Count how many players wearing white pass the ball. You can count again. This is not the exact... Uh, let's have a look. See if you can get the 15. Keep watching. For the sake of uh, the recording, there are three people in black T-shirts and three in white, and they're throwing a baseball between us, two between them, two baseballs, and you're just counting as three. See, look, see? There he is. Did you spot him, the guy in the gorilla costume? <laughs> We don't see what we're not looking for. We're not expecting it, so we don't see it. But God wants to work in you and through you. He's the miracle, the miracle worker, but he wants to work in you and through you. And the last two points are this. Mary said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Do whatever he tells you. This was her advice. She knew where to turn. She knew Jesus could fix it. And she knew uh, that what he said would be the door into the supernatural. And so I want to encourage you to recognize those little nudges that you get that you might not even be aware that it's the Holy Spirit, but God is trying to prompt you into doing something that will enable the supernatural to break through into your everyday life. Practice listening to him. Have an adventure. This is a great life. Beth was testifying to that earlier. This is a fantastic life. Do whatever he tells you. I came out with my drive the other day, and um, I always turn left and go to the roundabout to get onto the main road, because it's much easier to get onto the main road where there's a roundabout than it is to cross the main road. And I just felt this little, go the other way. Well, I never go the other way. I thought I should go the other way, and I drive up the road and nearly run over this man who has uh, had an accident and is lying unconscious in the road, bleeding from this head wound. And so I, it was, um, I told you I was a nurse, so I was able to sort of stop the bleeding and call the ambulance and check that he was alive and breathing and all this kind of interesting thing that it's always good to check someone's breathing. And, uh, but listen, I, I would never have known that, that I, that's what... God wanted me to go and do and help that day if I had just gone and said, oh, rubbish, I'll just go the roundabout way. Respond to those little nudges that you feel, but practice doing that and have an amazing adventure. And then finally, give the glory to him. It says in verse 11, what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Listen, you can have as many intellectual arguments about Christianity as you like. But the powerful thing 
is when you tell your story. When you tell someone how God has met you and how God has broken through into your everyday, ordinary life and turned it into something extraordinary. It's hard to argue with someone's story. So, remember, he's the miracle worker. He wants to work in you and through you. Do whatever he tells you and give the glory to him. And this is what it says in John 14, verse 12. Whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing, and they will do even greater things than these. If we follow Jesus, we can expect to see amazing happen, things happen in our lives. And we'll find ourselves feeding the hungry and opening blind eyes and restoring ruined people's lives and showing compassion to people and um, washing people's feet or whatever else it is that Jesus did. We'll find ourselves doing those things. We'll see the supernatural power of Jesus working in us and through us. Heaven will break through. Amen? Amen. Amen. Why don't we pray? Maybe you could stand to pray. I'd like us to uh, read a declaration in a moment, but I'm going to pray first. And if you would like more of the supernatural to break through into your life, then pray in your heart with me as I pray this prayer. And, of course, you can't have the supernatural power of God breaking through into your life if you don't know him. So if you've never, ever asked Jesus to come and be Lord in your life and take charge, and you've never said, I believe in you, Jesus. I believe you died for me. I believe you rose again. I believe you want to live in my heart, and I believe that uh, that's the life that you have for me. If you've never prayed that prayer, then we want to help you do that today, and, and I'd love it if you would come and talk to me afterward. But let's pray for all of us here who want more of that supernatural breakthrough in our lives. Lord Jesus, I thank you today that you are a miracle-working God. I thank you that you are a supernatural God. I thank you that you intend for heaven to touch earth. You intend for us to experience that supernatural nature of yours every day, not just on special holy days, but every day you want us to have that ear out to what you're doing, that eye open to see what you're doing. I pray this week that you would give us opportunities to practice listening to you. I pray you'll give us stories, even this week, of how you did something unusual in our lives, how you changed or turned something for us that we couldn't have done ourselves, but you stretched out and did it. Lord, I pray that we would both experience the supernatural ourselves and be in parters of it to other people, that we would have stories of your goodness and your supernatural power in our lives this very week. In Jesus' name, I ask this. Amen. Amen. And let's just have a look at this declaration here and see if you feel you can read this. It's really simple, so you might be able to remember this every day of the week. I'm going to read it out and then we can do it together. It says, I believe our God is a supernatural God, and you said that earlier on with me. And I believe he wants to break through into my life today and every day. 
So if you want to read that out with me, what we put on our mouth is powerful and God is listening to you. Ready? I believe our God is a supernatural God and I believe he wants to break through into my life today and every day. Amen. Have a wonderful week. May the ordinary become extraordinary for you. And may you encounter the God of miracles in your life this week. Thank you.